You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. I have a question I want to start off with for everybody here. What is the first thing? Actually, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes. (laughs) And I want you to answer this one question. And I'm going to have you have some people raise their hands. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? Just think about it for one second. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? All right, you can open your eyes. Raise your hand. Yes, Micah. Love, okay? Somebody else. Bill. Dad, okay? What else? Andrew. Big, okay? What else? All right, we got three words that come to people's mind. That's awesome. Okay, I, I would like to think. Yes, Christina. Mercy. Mercy. Leah. Friendship, relationship, okay. Pure, okay. What else? Yes. Power, okay. Yes. Teacher. Daniel. Goo awesome. Good and awesome put together, okay. Or like. Okay, uber cool, all right? Uh, uh, Bill, faithful. That would be the second thing that would come to your mind then. All right, okay. (laughs) Yes, shepherd, okay. All right, what else? A couple more. Yes, heaven, okay. Yeah, merciful, okay. A.W. Tozer. One of my favorite authors wrote my favorite book of all time. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy. This little skinny book is packed full of amazing, amazing information about God. Who's read this book before? Okay, some of you who has not read this book before. Who is like dying to read this book? Who's dying to read this book? Okay, who, who, who's, here, who's here at Sunday school for the very first time? You are? Okay, here, you want this book? Okay, this is my favorite book of all time. You have to promise to read it. Okay, okay. All right. Welcome to Sunday School. What's your name? What's your name? Hi, Whitney. Welcome. Glad you're here. Okay, uh, I really encourage everybody, read this book. I'm not giving this away. This is mine. And read this book. Uh, it, it will, uh, now it, it's thick. I, it's not really that thick, thick, thick. But it is dense inside. Seriously, you'll read a, read a couple of cha- pages and you'll be like, oh my gosh, my brain hurts. Because the way that he describes God starts to blow your mind. And I think that's what's supposed to happen. I think when we really start to think about God, our mind is supposed to hurt. Because we really totally can't wrap our minds around God. The problem is that too often we don't really know what God is all about. Now, some of you have heard this story before, but I got to tell it because it's one of my favorites. When I was a little kid, I loved, and I still love, MacGyver. (laughs) MacGyver is seriously one of my heroes. Best mullet ever. He's got skills. I mean, Swiss Army knife, duct tape, and a toothpick, and he can save the world. I mean, how, how much greater... That does he get than that? How many guys in here would like to be MacGyver? That's right. That's what I'm talking about. How many girls would love to marry MacGyver? Yeah. Did you ever notice on MacGyver that MacGyver 
Never had a girlfriend. Never. I, once. He had this girlfriend, but it was kind of like this mysterious thing. I don't know. Anyway, um, MacGyver was seriously my, my favorite guy. And, and, but my, my, my parents, uh, in, my, in our house, we, never, we didn't have a TV. We didn't have a TV in our house until I was 15 years old. And, and so, so we didn't really, I didn't get to watch TV, all that stuff. But every now and then, we would borrow a TV from somebody. That was like a big deal in our house, borrowing a TV. Like maybe for like the holidays so we could watch Charlie Brown, stuff like that. And, and sometimes we would, we would get somebody's TV and, and we'd get to watch it a little bit. But one of the things that we were like faithful to watch, Monday nights, MacGyver. And so we got to watch MacGyver on Monday nights. And, and really, because we didn't watch much TV at all, I mean, we just didn't know, like, who were TV stars and all that kind of stuff, and especially my mom. My mom was, like, the most anti-TV of anybody in my family, and, but she would watch MacGyver with us. So because she watched MacGyver with us, she knew who MacGyver was. Well, my mom was at a convention or a meeting or something like that down at the Broadmoor on the south end of town and was in a coffee shop, and she's sitting there with a couple of her girlfriends and looks across the ca- cafe, and guess who's sitting at the other end of the cafe? My hero, MacGyver. Now... Unfortunately, this was before text messages and cell phones and all that kind of stuff. So she couldn't text me and say, hey, you've got to come down here and see MacGyver. So she says, hey, I, I'm going to go over there and get his autograph. So she goes over to MacGyver and she has a couple of pieces of paper and says, hey, would you sign this for my kids? They're like, you know, your biggest fans. And so he signs Richard Dean Anderson MacGyver. Okay. My mom says, well, who's this guy that you're sitting next to? Is he some like movie star friend of yours or something? And, and he says, oh, no, this is Bruce Springsteen. And she, sa- and she goes, yeah, yeah, right. And then walks away and sits down. So my mom comes home and tells us the story about seeing MacGyver. And she says, and I got you all kids autograph, me and my brother and my sister. So, I, so we have this MacGyver autograph. And I'm thinking, this is the best thing ever. And then she starts telling the story about, oh, yeah, I went over to him and asked him who this guy was, you know, movie star friend. And he said, it's Bruce Springsteen. And he said, yeah, whatever. She laughed at him. Well, the next day, I showed my mom a picture of Bruce Springsteen. And she said, wow, that was really him. <laughs> turns out MacGyver doesn't lie. And, and it turns out that my mom laughed at Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. And, uh, and so I wonder sometimes, though, if that isn't actually our experience with God. Is that he's right there. And we don't see him because we don't really know him. Maybe we don't truly understand who he is. And maybe the reason is, is because we've created this own, our own sense of who God is. And maybe it's different than who God actually is. I love some of the words that we've, we've just heard and, and then some of the ideas that come to your mind as, you, as we hear about God and, and, and Father and merciful and wisdom and all those things. It's really important that we understand the, who God is, because we, we, tend, we tend to think when we think of the Ten Commandments. Anybody know what the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is? Anybody? Yes, Dan. Okay? No other gods besides me. No other gods before me. And I think what we think is, oh yeah, no idols. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't have any whittled statues in, the, in your house that you bow down to and burn incense to and all that stuff. And in American culture, I would say for the most part, that's not happening. So you're like, yeah, totally got, yeah, number one, done. 
Don't have to worry about that. That's not the, that's not the commandment that I'm, I'm worried about breaking. So we think, well, I don't have a, a statue in my house, but I think, what if, what if the God that we put before the true God is just the, our understanding of God, and our understanding of God is different than what the true God is all about? Maybe then we've actually created an idol. We've created a God who is not the true God, and he's been placed in front of true God. Does that make sense? So I wonder sometimes if we haven't done that unintentionally. And you might think, well, studying God, the nature of God, I mean, God's God, so why do I need to pay attention to that? It's kind of boring theology. It's not boring theology. I think the more we understand and begin to dive into who God is, we recognize that it actually is at the bedrock of our understanding of life. The more we understand God and how we understand God will actually determine how we act and how we behave. Think about it this way. Throughout, throughout this morning, I want to I talk not just about one characteristic and one attribute of God. I want to talk about multiple attributes of God, um, and hopefully it'll just whet your appetite a little bit to dive in deeper into some of, the, some of these attributes. Uh, the Knowledge of the Holy is one really great book that helps you to maybe go a little deeper and, and kind of start wrapping your mind a little bit around some of these, these attributes and characteristics. But think about the fact that God is, let's see, where was I, where was I going with this? You ever do that? Probably not. <laughs> I somehow totally just lost my train of thought. Please hold. Where was I? I was about to talk about one aspect of God that was going to be really cool, but I totally forgot which one it was. <laughs> this is good. Cool. It was that cool. The mystery of God. Yeah, totally mysterious. <laughs> yeah, the fact that God doesn't forget. Um, well, let's talk about this. First of all, the fact that God is never at odds with himself. You ever thought about that? God is never at odds with himself. So because of that, I think sometimes we think, well, how is God full of justice and full of mercy all at the same time? How is God a God of justice, a God who, who has to make sure that if you violate something, there's consequences. There's justice in the sense that if you break a law, just like you would in America, there are consequences for that. But how is it that he can be full of mercy all at the same time? So does he wake up one morning and decide, mm, feeling merciful today, I think I'm going to be merciful. Or does he wake up one day and feel like, oh man, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, people are kind of ticking me off today, I think I'm going to be a God of justice. God can't do that. God has to be completely himself all the time. So how is it that parts of himself are not at odds with each other? Well, God is a God of justice. We see that throughout the Old Testament, especially we see the children of Israel violate the commands to which he gives them. And then we really see what, what happens is, is that he lays out these commands, these, this covenant, this contract with, the, with his people, the, the 613 laws. There are 613 laws laid out in Exodus, Leviticus, all the laws of like, if you do this, this is what you have to do, and if you do this, this is what you have to burn, and if you do this, this is the animal you have to kill, and all those things, 613 thir- 13 laws. Well... 
what happens is, is they start violating all of those laws. And then we see, usually, for pretty much the rest of the Old Testament, in some form or another, the repercussions of, their, of the children of Israel's violation of those laws. That's a God of justice. So how is it that God isn't like that, or has, has, had, we don't see God quite in that extreme as we do in the Old Testament? Well, it's because, and God can't not be just. So where does that, how, how does this all play in? Well, what happens is, is that Jesus takes on the sin of the world. And obviously we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for our violation of law. Died on the sins for, died on the, died on the sins for our cross. Died on the cross for our sins, for those things. Satisfying the justice of God so that God could be merciful. Therefore, God can be just and merciful all at the same time. Now, God is not just a God that is wise. Have you ever thought about this? God has never learned a thing. Never learned a thing and can never learn anything. Now you think, why? Is that God dumb? Or is he like unwilling to learn? No. God is not just has some wisdom. God is wisdom. And if God has the ability to learn something, then that means that something else is actually bigger than him. And so if God is full of wisdom and is wisdom, then he supersedes the need for learning. Think about that for just a second. There is nothing that happens that somehow is a new information to God. If, for some reason, he had to learn something, that which he was learning would be bigger than he was. And so, therefore, he must be bigger, and therefore, he must know it already. He knows all the possibilities. He knows what's going to happen before it ever happens. God has never learned anything and will never need to learn anything again. From the beginning, he's always known all things. God, we say, well, God is good. God is not just good like he has the attribute or the ability to be good, you know, like, oh, you just did a nice thing or you just were so good at that. God is goodness. He's not just, it's not just an attribute, a characteristic or a, a way in which he expresses himself. God is those things. So when we talk about the attributes of God, we're talking not about what he does, but about actually about who he is. Think about this. God is love. Somebody mentioned that. So in his love, God is also good. Because of his love and his goodness, he wants, it means, he wants the absolute best for us. Okay? If we boil down a little definition of good, God's goodness and God's love, it means he wants God's best. He wants his best for us. He loves us. He loves each and every one of us so much that he wants our best, his best in us. And so now sometimes that's not always going to look great. We might not always like where that goes, but God has our absolute best interest in mind. That's God's love and goodness at work in us. Okay? Now, that's one thing if he just has these good ideas for us, but God is also, uh, there's several kind of theological words that maybe you want to write down, but God is omniscient. Anybody know what omniscient means? All-knowing, okay? God is also uh, omnipotent. Anybody know what omnipotent means? 
all-powerful, okay? He's also omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, okay? The omni words, there's three of them there that, are, that you'll, you might hear regularly, okay? But he's omnipotent, okay? So that means he's all-powerful. So not only does he just have the good ideas in mind about what he wants for you, your best interest, he also is all-powerful. So in other words, he has the ability to get it done. Now, it's, more, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, think, okay, I want the best for you. It's another thing to have the power to do it. It's another thing also to be wise. Not just wise, but to be wisdom. Anybody have a good definition for wisdom? Knowledge and action, okay? The correct use of knowledge, okay? What else? Anybody else? What's that? Able to discern, okay? Yeah. Okay, ability to let go. All right, okay, yeah. Knowing when to step in, okay. All right, anybody else? Yes. Knowing how to act righteously, okay. I'm going to give a bigger, broader, wider definition to wisdom. The ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. Okay? So... In other words, I want to get this done. I want, the best int- I want the best to happen in your life. That's what God says. Now, he also has all wisdom. He's all-knowing. And so he knows the perfect way to get to the perfect end. That's wisdom. He sees because he sees the beginning from the end all at the same time, which goes to the fact that God's above time. And we start talking about time, and your brain's really going to hurt. We'll talk about time in just a little bit and how, how God's ability and God's, not even ability, but God, the fact that God is timeless and spaceless actually will change the way you maybe think about God and what happens in your life. Okay? But he sees the beginning from the end. There's, he, there's no guesswork. It's not, well, I hope he does this and then maybe he'll get to here and then hopefully he'll make this decision and he'll get here. He knows the perfect way to the perfect end. Everything is in focus. And he works towards that goal with flawless precision. That's wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. That's, that's not God being wise. That's God in his full wisdom expressing itself in our lives. So think about those particular three a- attributes of God all at work in unison because God cannot just be one more than the other. He is all of them all at the same time. Okay, so he's, he's, he is loving and good. So he has our best interests in mind. He knows where he wants to take us and where we need to go. He's all-powerful. He can get that done, and he's, he's, he's wisdom, and so he knows the best way. So he has the power to get us the best way to the best end. Okay? If we understand that, if we understand that attribute and characteristic, those characteristics of God, there's way, way more. But just those three, and we recognize that those are always in unison, and that's God, cannot not be those things. If we really understand that, would we might maybe have an easier time trusting God? If we say, God is love and good. God is wise. He's wisdom. He knows what he's doing with me. And he knows how to get there. And he's all-powerful. He can actually get me there. Would we maybe worry a little less? I think worry is an indication. Anytime you find yourself worrying... Worry is an indication 
that we don't truly understand the nature of God. Worry is always an indication that there's an element of us that doesn't understand and, or maybe doesn't have a full revelation of the attributes and characteristics of who God is. Because if we truly understand and believe that God is good, wise, and loving, and powerful all at the same time, what do we have to worry about? Especially when we surrender ourselves to Him. When we surrender our hearts to Him. That's why the, the theology, it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just kind of understanding some intellectual ideas about who God is and yeah, that's good, but that's more for like Joe Kirkendall because he's like a nerd, you know? So nerds think about the nerds think about the immutability of God. Nerds think about the omnipotence of God. Um, that might be true. Nerds do think about that, but everybody needs to think about that because the more we understand that, it's going to play out in our lives. It's going to play out in our anxiousness or lack of anxiousness. It's going to play out in our trust of God. It's going to play out in our in how much we how much time we take thinking I've got to control my life. How much I've got to know where I'm going and what I'm supposed to do. Does that make sense? So, I cannot think of a more important exercise than to dive into and understand who God is. Understand some of the characteristics and the and the hugeness of God. I think it was Andrew Melander over there that said thinks big. I could not agree more. I think we too often have made God smaller than he actually is. And we like to, as human beings, bring him down to someone or something that we can understand. Because if we can understand him, then somehow we can manage him. And if we can manage him, then somehow we actually have more control. But God is wanting us to think bigger than what we are thinking. Shatter our boxes of what God is all about and be blown away by God. Blown away by God. A.W. Tozer, like I mentioned, my, my favorite author and favorite book, in this book he gives a quote that I think is huge. He says, One of the mo- the, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. Because do you think of him as small? Do you think of him as, as distant? Or do you think of him as maybe incomplete? Yeah, he's big and he created the world, but I don't know that he can take care of my situation. I don't know that he can actually find me a husband or a wife. Some of you are like, whoa, 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 what does the nature of God have to do with my spouse? <laughs> I think the nature of God has everything to do with your spouse. I think the nature of God has everything to do with your career. I think the nature of God has everything to do with your future. I think the nature of God has everything to do with missions. I think the nature of God has everything to do with how we spend our time. I think the nature of God has everything to do with what we, how we raise and train our kids. And so, sometimes I think what we end up doing... And if you've been around at the mill for a while, I, I hope you have been able to see the balance. But we really try to not just talk about dating, just talk about how to, how to manage your money. But we also try to talk about some of, the, some of the theological foundations because how we understand God 
determines how we think. How we think will oftentimes, will, it, actually it will impact how we act in the way that we date, in the way that we manage our money, in the way that we work, all those types of things. Too often as people, we want to just satisfy, well, how do I do this? What do I do here? And that's one of the reasons that I think sometimes church or different things about church have become a little self-helpy. It's because we just focus in on felt needs and we don't feel the need to understand the immutability of God. Anybody know what the word immutable means? What's that? Yeah, unchanging. The fact that God never changes. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So you're like, well, I don't really feel have a felt need for understanding the unchangeability of God. But I do have a financial crisis going on right now. <laughs> and so that's where that, that lies. Now, does that mean you shouldn't worry about that? And you just need to read A.W. Tozer and it's going to solve all of your problems? No. But I wonder sometimes if we wouldn't be able to understand some of those things and it wouldn't impact uh, us in a much greater way uh, in regards to how we actually live our lives. Make sense? Okay. Am I, am I, am I, are you following me? Are you guys tracking with me? Does this, this uh, make sense? Okay. Let me just point you to a couple of scriptures. Actually, let me have a couple of you read some of these scriptures. Psalm chapter 50, verse 21. Somebody, if you have a Bible, I know there's Bibles in the middle of your table. If you grab that, once you have that, just stand up and I'm going to have you read it aloud. Make sure you project. Psalm chapter 50, verse 21. All right. Okay. So, Bible saying here is that you thought that I was just like you. In another version, it says of the Bible it says you thought the I am God, the I am was just like you. We sometimes think God's like us. We think we take the characteristics and attributes of a human of ourselves and we apply them to god as opposed to recognizing that god is beyond us beyond our mental capacities and beyond our total understanding it's like holiness when we think of holiness what do you think of anybody what's that set apart okay perfect okay pure Okay, so we and, and I think if we were to des- describe and define some of those words, what we would probably come up with is doing the right thing, not doing the wrong things. A lot of action type words, action type definitions. But holy means totally unique and completely other than. I think maybe you've seen Glenn give this illustration, uh, and it's the idea of well, we think on a scale of one to ten that God's ten. And we're like five. And maybe angels are like eight or maybe a nine or something like that. And God's just a higher than us, on a higher than us scale. When actually God's on an other than us scale. He's not just better than and holier than and uh, uh, does the right thing all the time scale. He's completely other. And for us to kind of even start thinking about the fact that God's other than is amazing. That he's not just a little bit better, a little bit bigger, but God is beyond bigger, beyond what we can comprehend in those ways. And, and the, to, to, to begin, so I just challenge you, I challenge you as we, we go.
go on here today, but I challenge you beyond today is to ask God to continually reveal Himself to you. Reveal more of your nature to me. Reveal more of who you are to me. Reveal more of your, of, of your, your attributes to me. And I believe God will do it. And it might be that it might be one attribute for a long time that God kind of just starts to download into you. I have a friend right now who, uh, and I think this is a valuable, valuable, valuable attribute that we need to understand. And I think it's maybe in one, one sense one of the attributes that God really wants us all to latch onto. And it's the father heart of God. The fact that God is father. He's not just like a father. He is a father. And he has asked God to reveal himself as a father to him. Every time I talk to this guy, the ways in which he communicates about the Father is unbelievable. But he's getting a fresh understanding of what it means to be fathered by God. Ask. I think sometimes we think, oh yeah, God's big, God's great, God's love, God, thank God for God. And I, and I wonder if that sometimes limits our ability to really truly understand God. Will we ever truly understand God? No. Does that mean that we should never try? No. I think that it means that we should pursue knowing God more and more every day. And so ask God, seriously, ask God, reveal yourself to me. And maybe there's a particular aspect or attribute of God that really impacts you or, or you need to get in order for it to eliminate some worry in your life. Maybe, let's do this. Everybody heads down. Eyes closed. How many of you in here are worrying about something? Just raise your hand. You're worrying about something is on your mind. You're not sure how it's going to work out. You're just really worried. Okay, it maybe keeps you up at night, makes you anxious. Okay, quite a few hands. All right, hands down, heads up. Okay, many of you are worrying about some things. I would guess that that one or more of the attributes of God, if you got a fresh revelation of that, would help some of that worry and anxiousness to go away. And maybe it's just to know that God's good. Maybe it's the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. God's got something bigger going on. God has a bigger plan. All those things. That there's something more going on in your heart. That God is beyond those things. That circumstances, God's beyond and bigger than circumstances. I'm not sure, but I would guess that if we ask God to reveal himself in those ways, that there might be uh, some breakthrough in regards to worry in your life, okay? Um, why is it important? I, again, I, I'm going to kind of just bounce back and forth here with some different ideas, but, but why is it so important that we understand God? Because how we understand, if we understand God to be small, I think it impacts our worship. We, we, we worship small. If we understand God to be massive and huge, it does something in our heart. I think, oh, I can't believe that this God who's beyond and other than has changed my life. That I can know him. And that to me is one of the things that really amazes me is the fact that God in his bigness and his otherness and his unchangeableness and his infallibility, his perfection, in his omnipotence, in his omnipresence, in his omniscience, in his goodness, in his wisdom, in his 
sovereignty, in all of those things. And the list goes on and on. In all of those things, he's also so near. He's so near. He's so personal. He wants to not only, he does not just want to be God creator, but he's also God father. That's amazing. Now, the issue is, and I think this is one of the things that the enemy wants to do and destroy in our lives, is our understanding of a father. I think it's one of the reasons that, 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 fa- that the breakdown of the family has happened, that the enemy is, is attacking our understanding of fathers. I just had a conversation last week with a few different people, and I asked, what, what's, what's, what's your dad like? Who's your, what's your relationship with your dad like? Find out about alcoholic dads and dads that are distant and dads that don't, haven't spent much time. They was talking to a few girls distant from their daughters. And I said, what do you want your relationship with your dad to be like? And that, conversa- that conversation was amazing. And they're like, well, there's parts of my heart that I would love for my dad to know about. There's parts of my heart there's, that are hidden, that, that God's done so much in my life, I'd love to share that with my dad. And in this conversation, came to the realization that one of the girls said, well, I realize that my interaction with God and my is hampered by my understanding of God because of my understanding of my current dad. She said, I'm scared that God doesn't want to know the deep things of my heart because my dad didn't. And so the enemy wants to break down our understanding of God as father. Several, several years ago, I did a series at the mill about God as father. And I talked to a few guys that said, yeah, I came to the mill the first night. That you, and you said, yeah, we're going to start a series tonight about understanding God as Father. And they said, we walked out. These two guys that, that I knew walked out. And they said, we came back when you were done with the series. Because they had such bad dad relationships, dad understandings, that they thought, I, I can't take it. It's too hard. It's, it's, it, I don't like thinking about that. I can't make the connection. And the more and more I talk to people and, and hear about stories of dads, I realize that we're maybe missing a huge element of God because we've had bad dads. Not all of you have had bad dads. Bad dads. Uh, but I find a higher and higher percentage that dads have not done a good job of reflecting who God is. It makes me really sad. It's one of the reasons that I see that and I think I want to be the best dad to my boys because, because one, I want to be a super dad, but two, but two, and maybe, and probably actually more importantly, I want my boys to have a great, great understanding of who God is. I mean, I want them to run to God and think that he loves them so much. That he, I go to my boys, this is what I say on a regular basis. Hey, Parker, come here, come here. I want to tell you a secret. You're like, okay, what's the secret? And sometimes I'll just be like, this chin is here, and he's like, ah, and he laughs. Now, let me tell you a secret. He's like, I know what it is. Like, come over here. I said, you know what? I think you're amazing. 
I know. No, no, no. Let me tell you one more secret. You're incredible. Oh, Dad. I, you know what, though? I want him to realize that God says to him, Parker, I think you're amazing. Parker, I can't get enough of you. And sometimes kids don't hear that enough. They don't hear about God. They don't hear their own dad say, I think you're amazing. I can't get enough of you. And then they don't think that God loves them too much. And so maybe our understanding of God maybe just needs to start actually with understanding God as our Father. Let me just read, or have you read actually, a couple of, a couple of verses. 1 John 3, 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Once you get it, somebody stand up. It's great. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And it goes on, I think, in verse 2. Is that correct? Can you flip to verse 2? Dear friends, now we are children of God. So he says it again. Says it again. Two verses. Repeats himself how important it is that we understand that we're children of God. That we're loved in God's sight. That God's whispering into our ears, Hey, hey, I can't get enough of you. Daniel, can't get enough of you. Andrew Melander, can't get enough of you. Take Aaron on an airplane flight. If you listen close enough, God's saying that, I promise. But God is saying those things, and yet we say, well, I don't think that God's like that. But we boil it down, and it's because our understanding of God, maybe it's not because we've determined him to be like me, but we've determined him to be like our dad. So we've, again, brought him down to human terms, to human characteristics, to human attributes, and human comparison, which I think is natural. But I, what I'm challenging you to do is to say, God is beyond that. He's bigger than that. And though I maybe have had a bad dad, God is saying, You're amazing. I love you more than you can ever imagine. And now, every now and then, I'll be like, Hey, Parker, did you know you're amazing? Yeah. Hey, Cohen, guess what? Dad, I know you can't get enough of me. Now, when they get older, they'll have to learn a little tact about stuff like that, you know, but. Because every now and then I'll hear, like, Parker go to Cohen and he says, Hey, I'm amazing. <laughs> right now it's cute. You know, they start doing that when they're 15, and that's going to be a little strange, but. I think there's a desire in all of us to have a father, and God is that father. Now, I think God's design is that we have earthly fathers and we also have a godly father, but the God that we may not be able to totally understand in, a, in hugeness, in the sense that we can say, I, I cannot grasp the, the, the awesomeness of God. And we go that far. We can't. We can't. Our mind, if, if we completely understood God, that would mean our mind would be God. 
if we understood God intellectually, could could pursue God intellectually to the point we, that where we completely understood Him, then our mind would become God. Because to be understood completely would mean that our mind is bigger than Him. Think about that for just a second. <laughs> so, in the awesomeness and the expansiveness of God, maybe there's, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. But sometimes we get so far out on the hugeness of God that we miss out on the fatherness of God, which is the closeness of God. The the other than sometimes helps us, doesn't sometimes brings us to the point where we don't always understand the, the nearness and the closeness of a father. And that, I think, is pretty amazing. Is that the attributes of God are not just big and huge and beyond, but they're close. They're father somebody else mentioned a shepherd shepherd god is our shepherd but he leads us he walks with us pastor brady's doing a series on psalm 23 where the shepherd walks with the sheep and the sheep need need the shepherd to help them and walk with them daily all the time and so it's pursuing this i've like i said when i first started my goal here today was just to, to kind of throw out some ideas, to throw out a couple of things, some different attributes of God, so that maybe we can just say, wow, I, I want to know more about that. And so that we can start to say, my understanding of God is beyond what I can understand, but I know that I'm going in a, in a direction that's, that's doing something, that's meaning something, that's going to, it will. No matter what you think of God, it impacts the way you act. And write this down. I think this is a valuable thing to understand. Whatever you value most consumes you. And whatever consumes you conforms you. And whatever conforms you shapes your future. Whatever you value most consumes you. Whatever consumes you conforms you. And whatever conforms you shapes your future. The reason I give you that quote is because what we value, in other words, what we see as God, what we understand as God, who we value, where our affections go, and what we're, what we're in, who we're in love with means something for who we are and what we're going to do in the future. Whatever you value most consumes you, whatever consumes you conforms you, and whatever conforms you shapes your future. Okay, I'm done. Let's talk. Questions, comments, thoughts, ideas? Is everybody's brain spinning? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. You know, the other thing, and 
as many of you know, my wife Jossie and I have had a difficult situation with having lost our baby girl. And and there's lots of questions that might come up. You know, why I'm praying for we prayed for healing, why didn't she get healed? Why in the world, if you love me, did I get diagnosed with cancer? Why why did those types of things happen? Or why even though I was diagnosed with this or our baby was diagnosed with, with Down syndrome and hydrops, why did this happen? And, and as, I, as Jocelyn and I have been praying about it and seeking the Lord about some of those things, I think one of the things that has come to mind for me is understanding the nature of God and understanding that, that God is above time and space. And sometimes we understand, as we read the Bible, we think, okay, God says, ask and you shall receive. So, therefore, I need to ask and receive, and it's supposed to happen. So why didn't it happen? Did I not ask hard enough, loud enough, long enough? Did I not pray with enough faith? Did I, is it my fault? Do I have some hidden sin? What's the deal here, God? And I've realized that maybe my understanding of God and his love is, has to do with and is connected to the fact that God is above time and space. And my questions have to do with time and space. And, I'm say, and so when we think of cause and effect, we think of chronology. But the fact is, is that God, if this is us, beginning and end, this is God. Time and space is only inside of who God is. And there's actually no beginnings and endings. Just the idea that God has never started is pretty amazing. And so we think of, well, if I do this, then it's supposed to happen here. But God, God doesn't think that way. That's not how God is. We're just in time for our sakes, but not for God's. And maybe my understanding of God and his time is something that only is the way I think, but God thinks differently. And so maybe his beginning and endings and, he, and my understanding of heaven and eternity and timelessness is beyond my understanding of what it means to ask and receive. Maybe I have received, but maybe it's outside of time. Okay, next question. <laughs> Ramil, or thought. Yeah, sometimes we ask why. Why, God, is this happening? Why are you doing this? And instead, it's okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. And then again, that's a trust in the sovereignty of God trusting in, an, attri- in a, an element of God, the attribute of, God, of sovereignty of God. Okay, trust your sovereignty. So therefore, and maybe instead of why, it's what. What are you doing here? And what can I grow in in regards to that? Because I trust your sovereignty. I trust your goodness. I trust the fact that you are powerful and you are at work in my heart, in my life. Okay? Yeah, Dan. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think I think in thoughts of that, obviously we do live in time. So God is going to interact with us in regards to time. Um, but one of the reasons that he does know the beginning from the end is because he's outside of time. Okay, so... So he knows that, okay, we want to get you from here to here, and but you need to go like this to get there. 
And, and we think, well, one, we don't even know that we need to get here. We think that we want to go here. Because probably because this is the straightest, easiest, painless process. But there's maybe a lot of pain and difficulty and heartache and hurt and problems and maybe things that are just aren't not always going to work out in there. But God's thinking, but I know that that's going to get you to where he wants you to be, which is right there. So sometimes it's his knowing that makes him out of time and space, even though we're in time. Um, I think the, and that has to do with his wisdom. I think the power has to do with the fact that, that yes, his power will be applied in time, but his power is outside of time. Does that make sense? His power is greater than, so he's moving things that aren't necessarily linear. Yes. Ow. <laughs> is that what somebody said? <laughs> I don't know. Anybody? <laughs> Micah. Michael says no. (laughs) Okay. Anybody else? Comment, question, then I'm going to end. Yes, Bruce. (laughs) Right. That's amazing. (laughs) Bruce and Jen are engaged, by the way. I want to end with this. A couple of quotes from A.W. Tozer. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done, not deliberately, but little by little, and without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to draw to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christians who can appreciate or experience the life and the spirit. 
the words, be still and know that I am God, means next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. This loss of the concept of majesty has come just when the forces of religion are, are making dramatic gains and the churches are more prosperous than at any time within the past several hundred years. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external and our losses wholly internal. And since it is the quality of our religion that is affected by internal conditions, it may be that our supposed gains are but losses spread over a wider field. Page one. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the fact that you're incredible. You're beyond what we could understand. And as maybe scary and as mysterious as that may be, I pray that that would bring us great comfort. That we cannot understand you. We cannot really wrap our minds around you. But in that, there's great comfort and great trust that comes along with that. And so God, I pray that you would open our minds, shatter our boxes, our understandings of you, and begin to expand them. I pray that a a renewed sense of majesty and awe would be captured in our hearts. A new sense of surprise, desire to know you would be reignited in us. Help us to seek you and know you and to trust you. May, we, may the worries of our hearts maybe trigger an, something in us that would say, I, I need to understand who God is in order to be able to not be so anxious about this. And God, I pray that each and every one of us in here would understand you not only as big and beyond and other than and expansive and greater than we could ever imagine, but I pray that we would also understand your nearness and your, the fact that you are our Father. And that doesn't just mean that you're big and beyond and we're tiny little kids and you're the big dad, but instead that you love us, that you whisper into our ears how much you think we're amazing and incredible. You can't get enough of us. And you want to hold us and sing to us and tell us how much you mean to us and we mean to you. And so God, I pray that we'd have a greater understanding of your nature, who you are, what you're all about. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.